Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Jake, we have got quite a bit to talk about. We've been teasing this for weeks now that we're almost through the the cold winter months in terms of lack of news, not getting any kind of real news to, to, to bite into. Well, we got that in droves over the last week. There was the first round of the NHL draft and then the day two, which almost took three days, what it felt like. And then on Friday, free agency. And the Ducks were a lot more active than what we expected, both for good and for bad, or maybe all for bad or all for good, depending on who you are. So yeah. I hope you're ready because this, this could be a bit of a a bit of a giant show here. There's a it, lot to get into. This is going to be a big one because, uh, yeah, there's a lot to cover. I mean, we were talking about before we went live, just kind of making sure we had all of our uh, I's dotted and T's crossed going into the show. And there, this is the most information I think we've had to break down in a long, long time on this show. And that's even uh-huh. with the last episode being the first round. Because at the end of the day, that first round podcast, that was fun. But mm-hmm. there were two pieces of news basically on that show. Yeah. We, we we didn't actually have a ton to go off of there, but no. now we, we do. And it was important. It was one of yes. the most important shows. But, I mean, we have rounds two through seven now to cover and all of free agency frenzy, the Ducks making trades. There's all And rumors abound also with certain things the Ducks may do. Maybe an incomplete puzzle right now. So there's a lot to get uh-huh. into and dive into. So we should just start get started. Well, let's get right into it. Before we get into free agency, I think we do need to put a bit of a bow on the draft um, because although we did do a full podcast on draft night or you know the, the the night of the first round, the Ducks had a bunch of other picks to make the next day, and we have to talk about them. So let's start with the 36 overall pick in the second round, a, a guy that neither of us really had pegged as someone that Anaheim may pick. Sam Colangelo, um, center out of the USHL, Chicago Steel, or sorry, right wing out of Chicago Steel, a, a program that is just churning out NHL talent. And the Ducks have really been honing in on the USHL pipeline. Uh, Colangelo doesn't have, he's not a great skater, but he does project to have an NHL level stride. At least the believers in him will say that. He's got really good on ice awareness, playmaker. He's got tools. He's a guy who could potentially become probably more of a middle six center. You know, I would I would say that he's probably him and Sam Steele are probably kind of comparables in a way, although maybe Colangelo slipped a little bit in this draft. If you look at Byron Bader's uh, star probability model, which we've talked about ad nauseum, but he actually is at a 27% star probability, which is really high. It was the highest remaining star probability on the board when the Ducks selected him. Now, of course, I don't think they're looking at that, but it does show that his production uh, relative to his age in that particular league does bode well for the Ducks. Now, some people were disappointed because there were other names on the board that maybe we had thought would would go at that slot. So Jan Mishak was still available. Noel Gundler was available. Thomas Bordalo, Marat Kuznetinov. So there were names out there, but... I actually don't mind the pick because you can never have enough depth at center. And if everything breaks right for Colangelo and he is a key piece of your lineup, let's say two to four years down the line, it's it's a solid pick at 36. So what did you think of it? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely a good pick. Maybe we could say there were probably other people on the board that I think both of us would have preferred over Colangelo. But I think mm-hmm. all things considered, it's a very good pick for the Ducks. I mean, 
This is a guy that was one of the leading scorers in the USHL. We've talked about it a couple different times on this show, but the USHL is a place that has been historically underscouted. And mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll find gems in later rounds from the USHL as a result. So I don't exactly hate going into that league uh, right away to get your second round pick. Um, the thing on Colangelo is he's actually going to be going to Northeastern um, next. Uh, yeah, this upcoming season, he's already going to Northeastern. So he's going to be playing against some tougher competition right away going into the NCAA ranks, which I think mm-hmm. will be very good for him. I mean, he's a bigger guy. He He's someone that could potentially become more of a modern day power forward with, with mm-hmm. his size. And I think from a little bit of a human interest perspective, it's kind of a cool story because him and Zegras were our really good childhood friends. And I believe right after the Ducks took him, uh, Zegras actually gave him a call and they FaceTimed about it. So, and there's a picture I think that was floating around about them as kids together. So yeah. really cool that there's going to be that connection. I mean, we've seen that in the past with the Ducks having not necessarily doing that on purpose, but you had it with Comtois Morand um, being drafted in the same draft. Uh, you have it now with Colangelo and Zgras being one draft apart. So I think there's there's a cool little interest story right there for the Ducks. There is, and it is interesting that another name that a lot of people, I think, wanted the Ducks to target at 36 was Jeremy Poirier, who didn't Myself end up going included. Who didn't end up going until the fifth or sixth round, and he was drafted by Calgary. So a lot of teams passed on Poirier, and um, maybe history will show that all those teams were wrong that passed up on him, but... If you look at Elite Prospects ranking in their draft guide, they had Sam Colangelo at 79. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the overall body of work for him in terms of his physical tools, the big knock, and I don't know why I called him a center earlier. I'm sorry about that. I said it again. Uh, he is a winger. But the big knock is the skating. They have him in their 3 to 9 scale of you know uh, when grading attributes. They have him at a 3.5, so a very low grade. But... He grades out pretty well across the board outside of that. A six in shooting, five and a half in passing, puck handling, hockey sense, and a six in physicality for an overall B grade. So some people definitely had him higher on their boards. Um, I know that Elite Prospects does look a lot at skating and doesn't necessarily view it as something that can totally be fixed. They also believe that he can be a center. Nominally, he's not one right now, but they do think that he can get there, that he's he's had moments at center. That he, where he could potentially drive a line. So I don't, I don't dislike that pick. I think that that's, no. it, 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 it's a bit of a project, but in the range, in that range, you could, I mean, it's going to be all over the place and yeah. that's just, that's the nature of it. And we, the ducks made a lot of other picks that I think yeah. you could, you could label as projects. Did you have anything else on Colangelo? No, nothing else on Colangelo, but correcting you slightly on Poirier, uh, cause uh-huh. fourth and fifth round did not sound right to me. He went in the third round to Calgary. Oh, third round. I don't know yeah. why I thought so much later. Yeah, 72nd it, overall. It, it felt very late yes. because of it how was, high. It was after the yeah. Ducks' third round pick, though. <laughs> Some people had him in the first round. and uh, Are you yeah, looking at me? Uh, did you have him in the first round? I had him 27th. I had the Ducks taking him in our mock draft. I think that they, they did better than you with their 27th yeah. overall pick. Well, also, in my defense... <laughs> Jacob Perot was uh, off the board in our mock draft by that point in time. True, true, because I picked him at 22. Yeah, so. exactly. Boom. So there you go. Well, let's uh, let's get through the picks here. So in the third round with a 67th pick, the Ducks took a high school defenseman, Ian Moore, a right-handed shot. Who, who, Where is he committed to next he, season? So he is going to be playing in the USHL this okay. year, I think, on the Chicago Steel. And then he mm-hmm. is committed to, I think he's going to Harvard. Um, the season after, and so he will be joining up with uh, Henry Thrun 
at Harvard University, not this year, but the year after. Yeah, and, and that is a pick that I do like because all the intel on Moore is that he's he's got the tools to be a, a solid puck-moving defenseman at the NHL level. That Maybe not to the degree of a top-four guy, but if he turns out to be solid third pairing, maybe even middle pairing, then that that's a huge win for the Ducks. And I do like that they're getting him at a point where um, – he could have a really big draft plus one season because, you know, U.S. high school is kind of a weird, it, not a weird place to start, but the, the, the level of competition there can really vary. So I think going to the USHL, he could show, he could end up really being revealed as more of a value pick yeah. once he starts performing in a, in a bit more of a commonly agreed upon league. Yeah, the the knock on Moore, and this is kind of what I saw when I put together the, the quick little hit on uh, Moore when the Ducks drafted him. But he's a talented defenseman. But the issue that kind of he had was he was playing in the uh, he was playing in the prep uh, prep level, and the issue that happened there was the consistency wasn't necessarily there. Well, you could see that he was the best player on the mm-hmm. ice, but it's almost as if he knew that also, and so he would take a period or two off and then play the next period and was absolutely dominant and would win the game for them. And, as a and, result. and that's and that's something that would should probably change once he gets to the USHL. Exactly. He won't. He won't really. I mean, unless he's that good. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't really see him being able to do that. Um, so yeah, they did pass up on Poirier there. Um, so they got more five picks before that. A guy. You know, the, my only issue with that pick, even though I think it's a fine pick in a vacuum, they could have had a Jean Luc Foodie. They could have had a Danny Gushkin. They could and, have had and a those Jeremy are, Poirier. Yeah, but I would have... So if it were up to me, I would have targeted with that pick Gushkin or Foodie because Foodie, although he has his foibles as a player, is such an elite-level skater. Most people seem to agree he's one of the five best skaters in this draft class. That's just an intriguing center prospect to bring into your organization. Even if he doesn't end up being a center, uh, you've got something there. And then Gushkin, I understand that he's on the smaller side, but he produced really well in the USHL. He's got a very nice offensive skill set, great shot, great hands, great playmaker. That's just another... The the Ducks should have probably looked to add a little bit more on that side at that range. But more could turn out to be fine, and it it won't Mm -hmm. matter. But if we're being... If we're being completely fair, I, I, I feel like I need to, to at least mention who they could have had at that slot. So let's uh, let's move on to the fourth round pick, Timo Nickel. <laughs> so not not a name that anyone, I think, thought of going into this draft, but nope. he is a solid defenseman coming out of the QMJHL, Austrian-born. So if it, if it had been up to me, again, in this draft, he would not have been the Austrian that would have ended up being taken. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, needless to say that. But he does project well. If you look into the, the probabilities and whatnot, he does seem to have a solid skill set. Again, I feel like him and Moore are a little bit interchangeable in terms of the kind of prospects they will be. Moore is definitely on the upper end of that, yes. but but Nickel is in that same vein. Yeah, Nickel Nickel's definitely in that same vein. I'd say, obviously, I mean, you could imagine this by him going the fourth round, not the third round. His ceiling's a little bit lower. I think at best he... At absolute, absolute best, he becomes a third pairing defenseman. And they're both they're both right right shooting defensemen. So yeah. the the Ducks really dialed in. Yes. A, a, after after a year, surely, of listening to our podcast and hearing us moaning about the lack of right shot defensemen on the roster, they just decided to to shut us down once yeah. and for good. Yeah. But so 
he he's definitely more of a project. He's a guy that doesn't have necessarily the high end skill that Ian Moore mm-hmm. potentially has. Uh, he's he's not necessarily. I think Ian Moore we both agree on has some a bit of upside to him because of the level he was at. So there is mm-hmm. uh, a, a higher ceiling, but more of a risk because of that. Whereas mm-hmm. I think Timo Nickel is kind of more so is not is what he is because there's obviously development that can happen uh, there. Yeah, <laughs> but. I, he definitely is a lower ceil, uh, lower ceiling type of guy. Sure. I mean, that's fine. And I think that they're just looking to add bodies into their pipeline for the blue line, which that's what the draft is for. Now, a historic pick in a way in the fifth round. Yeah. At, the, at 129th overall, the Ducks made their first Russian selection, Artyom Galimov out of Kazan. So that's the first Russian the Ducks have selected since 2009, Igor Bobkov. It's been a long time since the Ducks have selected Russian. Another thing that we harped on in our, our previews leading up to the draft. So I, you really like this pick. You, you have made no bones about yes. it that, that you love this pick. I, I, don't really, I don't really get it because Galimov, even though... He's been a good player in the KHL, and he's had good seasons in the VHL. I just... he So he had been... This was his final year of draft eligibility. He's 21 already. And, you know, I'm not saying 21 is old, but in the world of prospects, you're definitely on a different end of the curve. And he hadn't been drafted in three consecutive drafts leading up to this. So to use a fifth-round pick on a guy like that is... and I, And I'm pretty sure that there was interest from other teams... For Gelimov, so it's not as if the Ducks were crazy here to select him, but he's just not really the kind of guy I would be targeting with that pick because I don't know how much upside there really is once you're in, in his age, age range. To be fair, the, the Kings, who had a great draft, took Martin Kromiak right before the Ducks there, and he's probably the guy that I would have picked had he been available, but he wasn't. Um, Dmitry Ovchinikov is probably the guy that I would have targeted. I know he's a complete project, and he could he might never be a player, but he's performed so well at the lower levels in Russia that he's the kind of guy that I think you should take a, a big swing on in in that range. But you really like the pick, so make the case why why you love it so much. So I'm a fan of this pick mainly because I think it to me it feels like an upside play. This seems like a guy that looks like he was passed over. During his time, uh, during his previous years, because of him being a bit of a smaller guy, not necessarily getting the opportunities in the MHL or the VHL or even the KHL that he deserved um, during his other draft seasons, and basically last year in his first year in the KHL, put up 23 points in 55 games and won Rookie of the Year as a 20-year-old in the KHL, and so that's pretty significant to be able to win uh, win Rookie of the Year over there. And so he's a guy, if you watch the highlight tapes, he's got some high-end skill, got some hands on him. Um, he's playing kind of in all the situations, I believe, for AK Bars. He's their top-line center at this point in time. And he has seven... I mean, he's not necessarily going to ever be a top-line center in the NHL. But that That's not where I'm going with this. But I think he has the skill set to be a very good bottom-six-type bottom uh, center. Um, he's playing in basically... I mean, we both agree the KHL is probably the second-best league in the world and he's putting up points. I mean, he has seven points in 14 games. Um, Mm -hmm. If he kind of follows along with that path and stays at about a half point per game, maybe that translates to him being maybe a 10 to 20 point NHL player. 
uh-huh. getting that out of a fourth line center, a guy that is a little bit more skilled, that's not a bad thing. And getting that in a fifth round pick even. And so while yes, you might want to take a guy that's 18, I, I think that taking him in his last go around isn't necessarily a bad thing. And there's a history of guys not saying this is who he's going to become because the draft profile is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, but you look at a guy like Artemi Panarin, he was passed over and never drafted out of the KHL. And that was a complete miss. Not saying that Galimov will become that, but there is a history of guys coming over and having some sort of impact making the NHL after not being drafted mm-hmm. at all out of the KHL or the MHL or wherever they were. So I, I think I like this because I think it's them taking a risk in a way that I have not seen the Ducks take a risk. I mean, 20 years. It, the Ducks have, I mean, because you mentioned it, it's their first Russian si- since Bobkov. It's their first Russian skater since 2001. Mm-hmm. Since yeah. since since the draft where they took uh, Stanislav Chisov. So right. it's been a long time. And the reason why is we actually had a little insight. And we mentioned this, I believe it was on the last episode, but Martin Madden was asked about it. And basically he said the issue with Russian players is sometimes it can take longer to get over here. And so with Galimov, I believe Martin Madden was interviewed, and I believe he's under contract for multiple seasons. So he mm-hmm. won't be coming over next summer. It would be a couple seasons after that. But um, I think that it, it's an interesting upside play, and, and I like it because it's different. Yeah, I just think there's a scenario where he just never plays. Yeah, they're one. He's a, it's a fifth <laughs> round pick. The likelihood of that happening is very high. Yeah, as in him not playing. That, I that, like it. Like I, I like all the things you're saying. I just, I don't know. Anyway, let's move on because we could go go on about that forever. Yep. And we have a lot of other things to discuss. Much more important uh, things than uh, fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks. Well, that's who we are. That 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 defines the show. We <laughs> we will just we will go to bat for any topic, any yep. any niche topic. Um, Albin Sunsvik in the sixth round. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. <laughs> This is a bit of the end of the road for how much I know these guys in this yep. range. Um, he, I've looked up his numbers and the probabilities. It's not good. He might just never play in the NHL. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of running out of things to say already. Um, you know, he's playing in Sweden right now. He's just kind of a classic low upside forward. And that, if you want to object to who they could have had, again, it's it's not. It's not like you're they missed out on a future star, you know, necessarily, but you could have still had maybe some players that are a little bit more interesting in that range that we know have a little bit more upside. So, for example, another Austrian. Hey, what is it with me and Austrians? Benjamin Baumgartner. I love Benjamin Baumgartner because he was so good playing in the Swiss League. He is a bit more like a Galimov where he's a maybe a little older He's smaller. He's he's not necessarily the kind of player that teams are going to covet, and and may look at in these later rounds as someone who will just fill a roster spot one day. But Benjamin Baumgartner, he's extremely skilled. He's he's a very discount version of Marco Rossi, in my opinion. And you could have had that guy. <laughs> so anyway, it just I'm not excited about the Albin Sunsvik pick, and that's fine. It, it's not something we have to spend a lot of time on. And then, when we all thought it was over, the Ducks traded their seventh-round pick for next year to get into the seventh round this year because they didn't have a pick. And, Jake, which trade? Which Was this the Goodbranson trade? No, no, no. This was just a seventh-round pick. 
It was the Ducks trading a seventh round pick, I believe. Uh, let me double check on it. I think it was the Capitals who they traded with, but it was a uh, first seventh oh. round pick either next year or the year after. Okay. And they got Ethan Bowen, who, again, I, I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about, but I think in, in the range that they were at there, again, it's, it's the seventh round. Um, there's not a whole lot of names where you can say, oh, they missed out on that guy or they missed out on the super exciting prospect. Bowen does have some interesting numbers in terms of his probabilities. He does compare favorably to not any top six type players, but bottom six forwards, guys who could eventually fill out a roster spot. So, so maybe here, that's positive. Here's the trade. It wasn't Washington, it was Columbus. The Ducks yeah. traded um, conditional seventh round pick, is, and the condition is Columbus will see, receive twenty seven or the seventh round pick in either 2021 or 2022 um at the time of this trade the ducks currently don't hold the 2021 seventh round pick so unless they trade and get a seventh round pick as part of it to give to columbus next year it's probably going to be 2022 i mean the only takeaway i had from this well it was there were two takeaways one of them mm-hmm. was that the ducks must have liked someone in this range and probably it was ethan bone and they thought he was going to drop and they figured let's get a seventh round pick take him mm-hmm. um but also from a very selfish perspective, seeing as I was cranking out all the articles on draft day for all of these kids, when that sixth round pick happened, I was uh, about to open a beer, got real happy. It was uh, all done for me. No more trade or no more draft picks. All the articles were done. And then the Ducks had to go make a trade and I had to write another article. So Jake selfishly, fle- Jake, Jake just flexing flexing that he did a lot of work i did i did you know <laughs> that's what the, that's what that was about which is that 100 percent was but you know it's, it's fine that's um, what i do it, it is what you do um okay let's uh <laughs> thanks <laughs> let's move forward here do, is there any final thoughts in the draft any, um any overall lingering? overall draft grade uh, i i'd give it a solid uh, you're putting it on the spot here i am um I would say purely because of the upside that they got or that they're they're banking on the first round, and if you believe in Colangelo, I would call it a probably a B plus draft. I, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of their later round work, but what they did in the top with their top two picks and then with potentially Colangelo, um, I think that gets them in B plus range. Maybe I could talk myself into A minus, but certainly a B plus feels very. That's fair. where I'm at. A minus. Okay. Yeah, and and I may even change my my grade uh, to A minus, but yeah, B plus A minus feel feels right for this yep. draft. One hundred percent feels right. I you know I I'm just not gonna let go from my opinion that the Ducks should have gone and and gotten Marco an elite Rossi. forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, like, that's they, a fair point. It, it's not even Marco Rossi. I mean, you could have had Alexander Holtz. You could have yeah. had Cole Perfetti. Um, yeah. You could you could have had a very interesting dynamic offensive piece to build around and to supplement a guy like Trevor Zegras, and they didn't do that. And Jamie Drysdale will likely be a very good NHL defenseman. He will likely sell jerseys. He will likely be a fan favorite. I have no doubts about that, about him having a good NHL career, and that is going to be the argument for him. But to me, the draft is always about what is the most you can possibly get to change the fortunes of your franchise. And I just think forwards can do that to a greater degree they're the ones who put the pucks in the net and so with a guy like marco rossi that would have been my pick but removing my own biases my own view they did well with their picks they didn't they didn't blow any of those picks especially in the in the in the first round right jamie drysdale is not 
a bad selection at six. No, he is not. If they, if let's say Jamie Drysdale had been off the board, and they had taken Jake Sanderson, uh, then 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 I think you're about. leaving you're leaving a lot of meat on the bone at that point. Yeah. Um, Agreed. And then with and then with Jacob Perot, who I haven't even talked about yet, that's just an awesome awesome pick. Pure upside. Yep. He he does have the ability to become that forward that. I was just talking about that the Ducks should have been coveting. Now, imagine if they had gotten a Rossi and a Perot, then, oh boy, then we're talking about some interesting things. But that's not what they did. That's fine, and that's why I give them the grade I do. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Okay. Let's, uh, you ready for free agency? Let's, let's move on to free agency. Well, we have one thing to hit on before the Ducks actually got into free agency. The day after the draft. Yes. The day yes. after the da- draft, the Anaheim Ducks announced a trade that I think – Caught all of us a little bit off guard, to be honest. Caught caught everybody off guard. So Eric Goodbranson, who the Ducks acquired last season, as you'll all remember, for a (laughs) – they traded him for a seventh-round pick and Andreas Martinson. Sorry, I had to chuckle reading that a little bit. And Eric Goodbranson, who definitely hasn't had the NHL career that his draft position would imply – had a really good run with the Ducks. He formed a really solid pairing with Cam Fowler. Had a year left on his deal at $4 million AAV. And it felt like they were just going to write it out, maybe flip him at the at next year's deadline and just kind of have uh, a set-in-stone top four. And they traded him to Ottawa for a fifth-round draft pick. And so that raised a lot of questions because all of a sudden, the Ducks had a glaring hole on their blue line. And... Well, first off, before we get into what happened after, what what was kind of just your reaction to that trade? My reaction was brilliant. Actually, one of Bob Murray's better trades, one of his mm-hmm. better... We, we can talk about a lot of his trade trees that are a bit of a mess, very sloppy, a lot of weirdness to them. This is one of the better trade trees I think you can find for him with flipping... It essentially became Martinson and a seventh-round pick for a fifth-round pick. Like, mm-hmm. that... You're, sent, you're getting more value than you gave up. You, yep. you got Eric Branson, he raised his value, and you got more value at the end of it all. And on top of that, I mean, out on top of that, the Ducks got much-needed cap relief. Um, now, my initial reaction was, were they going to use this? Was this done with the specific reason of uh, going and getting an unrestricted free agent? Was this done just to give get themselves more cap relief to make a trade? There was a whole lot kind of up in the air and you even put out an article early on friday morning before free mm-hmm. agency actually even started about who they could potentially target because there was a glaring hole on that right side and there were there were some names being thrown out sammy votnin's name was thrown out yes uh, tyson berry's name was thrown out to the ducks uh you had speculated on uh potentially tony d'angelo who we had talked about in the past and mm-hmm. then there was also kevin shattenkirk and to me, Kevin Shattenkirk was the guy you I personally honed in on. I mean, he was a guy last summer, I think, when he got bought out, I think right away I had mentioned, and there were a lot of people that actually disagreed with me at the time, that getting him would be a really smart and savvy move for the Ducks. Um, and actually, it came down to the Ducks giving him, I believe, a two-year offer and Tampa giving him a one-year offer, and Shattenkirk took a bet on himself. Right. Um, he wasn't getting any big money offers due to the fact of him just getting bought out. Witt took a bet on himself, took a one-year deal, hoping that if he performed better than he did in New York, he would then be able to get a pay raise. And, I mean, we'll eventually talk about it, but that paid off. And, I mean, Shattenkirk's a guy where you could see it last summer if you looked at his underlying numbers. Um, 
he was much better in New York than he got credit for. He got he had one or one bad year there, but outside of that, his underlying numbers were actually really really good in New York, and just were kind of hidden on a really bad, really really bad Rangers team. So right, um, I don't know if you just want to go straight in, but what <laughs> what were your thoughts though about Good Branson about that move? <laughs> well, you kind of you kind of let the cat out of the bag there. a little bit there. Yeah, you did. You it, did. It's so, hard. It's hard not to link the two. It's shame hard not you. to link the two. Um, that's fine. But uh, no, what what I would say for the Good Branson trade initially was even in a vacuum, even even if they had done nothing else, that's the kind of move the Ducks should be making. Flip a guy yeah. who has some term left, or it doesn't really fit into the long term projection of the team, and get some kind of future value, even if it's a fifth round pick. Uh, look, we we were talking. We Jake and I had a. a quasi debate about the ducks fifth round pick you if you hit in that fifth round then it's it's quite the deal and so it matters for them to make those kind of trades so it was a good move it it gave them some much needed cap flexibility but just fast forwarding to the first day of free agency so i actually would rather do this in chronological order because i think i think that 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 just kind of i think it it really illustrates the the madness sometimes that is bob murray's decision making process before we do that though let's uh-huh. uh let's have a word from our sponsor yes let's talk about our friends at manscaped so support for crash the pond is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming manscaped offers precision engineer tools for your family jewels they obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience so look guys women too you know when we do our grooming when we do our thing there can be some collateral damage it can happen and it's don't be not ashamed. A, don't be ashamed it, to admit it we've all been there look i've been there jake has been there jake's probably been there many more times than me <laughs> wow. due to a lack of precision but that's fine um this is an issue that's is rampant in society and that's why manscaped has redesigned the electronic trimmer the Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Now, their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce those grooming accidents we just talked about, thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. So, when I tell you that this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. It's waterproof, so you can do what you got to do in the shower. I'm going to leave it at that. And I have personally tried it myself. I've really enjoyed it. Um, there's an LED light. So when you're like me and you're trying to you know, shave your gross neck beard, uh, you can really dial in on that, on that beard line and, and get it nice and crisp for whether it's a meeting you're going to or a date or whatever. You can look your best. Thanks to Manscaped. So, Jake, what's uh, what's your experience been like so far with our friends it, at Manscaped? It's been fantastic. The blade's great. You can use it all over your body, wherever you want. comes with a really, really nice little cha- uh, charging stand um, that you can just have it in there, have it nice. And it actually looks really nice on your countertop. It's not like <laughs> one of these razors that kind of looks there and it looks all weird. You can just have it nice and docked, and it actually looks really nice. It also has a 7,000 RPM motor. I mean, I don't know what typical razors have, but 7,000 RPMs <laughs> sounds like seems a lot. pretty see, it sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot. Bring us the dingus chimes in our Twitch that says it is really really nice. Uh, didn't expect the light to be as helpful as it was. Yes, I I second that completely. The light is one of the things where you may think that that LED light 
is not that big of a deal. It's a bells and whistles thing that you don't need. But right. boy, boy, oh boy, that light is a game changer. And I don't know what I would do without it. So uh, if you want to get 20% off of your first or- of your order and get free shipping also, use the code CTP at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Yeah, so to get 20% off and free shipping, use the code CTP at manscaped.com. So CTP, like Crash the Pond, the name of this podcast, and the name of our website. That's 20% off with shipping at manscaped.com. And do not forget to use that code CTP. So with all that being said, let's get into free agency. Let's Freaky Friday Friday is the only way to describe it for me because it was a wild day. Some bad deals, some good deals, everything in between. So let's start with the bad because that's chronologically <laughs> what happened. And maybe I'm 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 giving away how I feel too early, but the Ducks' first move of the day on free agency, and correct me if I'm wrong, if there was something minor before that, the Ducks signed Derek Grant. They brought him back again. I don't I don't know how. I I don't know what this is about. A three year deal. Three years for Derek Grant, $1.5 million a year after having been traded from the Ducks twice. They brought him back again. And Derek Grant is statistically one of the worst defensive centers in the NHL at 5-on-5. Now, but grit, he's, but good at, he's a good penalty killer. I, I do want to make note of that. He's a good penalty killer. He wins face-offs, and I know that matters to some people. Um, he was on a bit of a shooting percentage bender last year, and that's kind of what drove up some of his um, his box score numbers, goals, and assists. But this guy has very little impact on the largest portion of the game, which is at 5-on-5. Five five. And the impact that he does have tends to be on the wrong side of the ledger. So I kind of just lost my mind when I saw this trade go through. You and I, this, you and I both. You and I both. This, this signing go through. Yeah, we were in our, our, our Discord chat, which we'll get into later, but... It, the chat just went crazy because it is crazy to bring back Derek Grant on this deal. Even if $1.5 million a year is not that prohibitive, even if you're talking about a, a fourth line center, it's just the, the idea behind it. I don't know. Am I crazy here? 100. You're no, you are not crazy <laughs> okay, at all. Okay. Um, I have on the screen actually right now for everyone in the Twitch stream or anyone watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see this is the RAPM chart. Uh, on Derek Grant from last season, last season only. So a season where a lot of people would think he probably was really good because he scored 14 goals um, and and all the different things that people think. Um, But if you look at this chart, you can see, basically this is essentially comparing him to what a replacement level or average player would be. Every single thing except for goals four per 60 on the power play. He Mm -hmm. was worse than your average skater. So even even on the power play where he did have some success... The success was mainly just in scoring and actually getting a little bit lucky. But here's the thing on Derek Grant that a lot of people don't really realize because a lot of people say he scored 14 goals. He he had grit. He had all the locker room presence, everything like that. Here's the quick and quick and easy on Derek Grant for me to explain why he is a bad player and why it is not a good signing at all, even though all the elite 1C memes are great. <laughs> the Ducks... The Ducks are significantly worse uh, or get significantly outscored when he's on the ice. They get significantly outshot when he's on the ice. They get significantly outchanced when he's on the ice. 
all three metrics that you would want to look at, even if you are someone that's old school that doesn't believe in, in Corsi, doesn't believe in expected goals for everything like that. If you want to simply just look at goals for per 60 or goal, sorry, goals for percentage. When was he on the ice for more goals for than he was against? No, he was not. He was significantly not. I mean, I'll pull up onto the screen. Let me see if I can get it, but I'll pull up. Uh, it's going to be actually hard for me right now. But I'll be able to get that number to you right now, actually, where he was at last year in terms of uh, goals for percentage, uh, if you bear with me one second. But kind of that, th this all leads to the point of, so here we go. Um, when he was on the Ducks, he had a 39.8 goals for percentage. Basically, what that means is per, six, per 60 minutes of ice time for him, him being on ice for 60 minutes, the Ducks would, allow, would score 1.84 goals, and they'd allow 2.79. So just by that simple metric, ignoring all the other advanced stats, which are mainly shot-based, the Ducks were outscored significantly when he was on the ice. Right. You want you and the, and he was the worst Duck in terms of that. So that I think is all you need to know. It's not and good. It, it's not. And I, I think what makes it even worse is this. Let me let me run through the the Duck center depth for you right now. They've got Ryan Getzloff. They've got Adam Henrique. They have Sam Steele. They have Trevor Seagrass, who granted, Bob Murray, I believe, mentioned today that he could see him playing on the wing more so to start than at center. But still, Trevor Seagrass is technically a center. They now have Derek Grant. They also have Carter Rowney, who is a center. They he, also, but, he, but, but Carter okay, Rowney's played mostly the fine. wing in Anaheim. They also still have David Backus. Well, so yeah. I'm, not, I, I'm not counting Carter Rowney in this, but the, I'm now at six. And Andrew Agazzino. <laughs> and Isaac Lundestrom who granted yeah. is over in Europe, but still there's all these, like something's got to give. And I, I had someone ask me, well, could, could guys like Trevor Zegras, could guys like Adam Henry, could these guys play the wing? Could Derek Grant play the wing? Well, I mean, the wings are pretty stacked also at this point in time. You on the left side, you've got Ricard Raquel. You've got uh Sonny Milano. You've got Max Jones. You've got Nicola Delorier. There's your four wingers. And you also have Max Comtois on top of that on the right <laughs> side. You you've got Jacob Silverberg. You've got Danton Heinen, technically. You've got Troy Terry. You've got Carter Rowney. There's four right there, and that's not even considering anyone that's potentially in the AHL. And, and so here's the confusion. Where does this fit? Who, so, like, the only way that Derek Grant being signed makes any sense whatsoever to me is that someone's got to get moved out. Well, I think that that guy will end up being David Backus. I, th I think that... Maybe. David Backus just doesn't make sense on this team anymore. Are they going to have a fourth line of? Oh, I can't even say what, it. Out what, loud. Are, what are you? What are you going to give up? Like I, I the, can't the even Ducks, say it. Out. Backus, are, are the Ducks going to give Rowney? up a first round? Are the Ducks going to give up a first round pick to get rid of David Backus after they just well, took on his contract to I take on draft capital? They would probably trade him at the deadline, you know, because you can't trade him now so, because no one's going to take that full but, cap hit. But so you, you're playing three quarters of the season though with that roster, so it's still the same yeah. issue. Yeah, and, no. I, well, I'm. I agree. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't make a ton of sense what they're doing. And, and, I, and some people will say, well, maybe this was done also with expansion draft considerations because you have to have two forwards that are going to meet the forty seventy rule or whatever the hell they make it prorated. But I mean, here's the thing: you they're they're going to have that anyways because they signed Nicolas Delorier to a two year deal, and it seems like that is with the exact intention of exposing him in the expansion draft for that that ruling. Carter Rowney won't be able to hit that. But here's the thing. The Ducks are going to have to leave some forwards exposed. Sonny Milano is probably going to be left exposed in the expansion draft, and he's probably going to play the amount of games. 
So it's not as if they didn't already have two 4070 guys and Derek Grant was brought in with that exact uh, situation. Mm-hmm. So it, it just it makes no sense. Also, to give him three years, I mean, 1.5, like you said, it's not cost prohibitive, but I mean, we made the same argument with Carter Rowney. Like, why give these guys three years? These yeah. guys are, you, these guys, Derek Grant is a dime a dozen. Yeah. You can find, you can pick a Derek Grant up off the waiver wire every single day, basically, if someone's put on waivers. Well, it's it's also the eternal debate of what should you be doing with your fourth line as a rebuilding team. Well, yeah, team. there's that. Because right now, the Ducks are fully stocked with, I would say, below average fourth liners. I mean, you've got Delorier, Bacchus, I guess, is okay for a fourth liner, but Derek Grant, um, Rowney... That could just be a bunch of younger guys. I mean, yeah, that could be your spot for Contois. That could be your spot for Lundestrom. And instead, they are just choosing this route. And maybe that is the route to go and give a guy like Contois more run in the AHL. But I think, I don't know about you, but I think this could be a breakout year for Max Contois this coming season. I, I agree. Whenever that will be. Well, and and that and but but the the, the problem is. I don't know where the opportunity to break out is mm-hmm. going to really be. Exactly. He's going he's gonna to have to go on a crazy bender in the preseason or whatever, again, whatever that's going to look like to really get a, a spot in the lineup. Because right now, Max Contois, is, he is trending towards becoming an NHLer. And I don't know if he'll be a star, but he's trending well. And you want to see a guy like that, homegrown, get his opportunity. And they, the Ducks have just made it so he's got a lot of it, bodies in front of him and it, you know the, the cream rises to the top but you also want to give your guys a chance it just doesn't make sense to me why you would prioritize getting a Derek grant onto this ro- back onto this roster and now i get it he seems like an awesome guy there's obviously people out there saying he's great in the locker room and all that different type of stuff but isn't that the exact reason why they got david backus also on top like wasn't one of the things they said was yes he's later in his career yes we got an asset for him but he's also going to be great in the locker room for the guy so it's like well what what are you doing here? Are you gonna just make this whole entire team about having good guys in the room? Yeah, no. Like, Derek Grant. Derek Grant's a nice guy. I can confirm. I've you, I've, you can. I, I I'm not gonna go into detail, but I've met Derek Grant. Uh, you know, and he, we had a great chat. He's a nice guy. But yeah. that's and and look in any company in any organization, you need friendly people to kind of populate your office, right, and make it a good environment. But you're also trying to win. And so this is, I think, what leads us into the next signing, unless well, you have anything real, else on Derek Grant. Real quick, let me just say this on, on Derek uh-huh. Grant. I, I, hey, yo, Deflo's chiming in a Twitch chat on this, and I think it's a very, very good point. If this was a one-year deal, I think it would make more sense because you could then but potentially I don't think, get— I don't think Derek Grant would have signed it if it was a one-year no, deal. No, I, I know, mm-hmm. I know, but I, I'm just— I, I think the reason he signed it is for the three years. Yes, but I'm saying if it was a one-year deal, it would be more palatable because— you could then go ahead and flip him at the deadline to a Again? contender for, yeah, for but draft a, capital. But but see, this is where the human element does come sure. into play. Sure. If a guy knows that that's just what's going to happen again, that's not really appealing. Right? Didn't that happen with Roman Polak in Toronto, where he got traded at the deadline, went back, and then it happened again? It's it's just a bit much at a certain point. Maybe. Right? So anyway, the Regardless. thing is the the thing is that cl- clearly. If you're trying to win now, I don't know how much, even though Derek Grant somewhat fits that bill of a win now guy, because he's 30, he's got NHL experience at this point. We've went over why he might not necessarily fit that. But now the Ducks are clearly putting themselves into win now mode 
by signing Kevin Shankirk, who we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Three years, $3.9 million AAV. A really fine contract. I mean, the term, the AAV, I think is very reasonable for what he brings to the table. He is 31, and there is the fear that maybe his game will drop off, but we don't have any indication yet that that will occur. It could happen as early as next season or two years from now, but for what we know, for what we've seen from Kevin Shattenkirk, and especially given the great run he had in Tampa Bay, he could have probably gotten a, a more lucrative deal somewhere else, I think. And I just think that because of the pre-existing relationship with Bob Murray, and I think yeah. he's friends with Cam Fowler. He is friends with Cam Fowler. I think he wanted to come to Anaheim, and that's that's a healthy sign. But part of what the sales pitch was, Bob Murray has confirmed this, Eric Stevens has confirmed this, was he believes that the Ducks, he's tired of the Ducks. Shattenkirk, Shattenkirk. Re- uh, uh, yeah, said that also. Shatt- like all parties involved have confirmed this, and that Sh- that the Ducks are they're tired of being where they're at. That they are ready to start competing again for a playoff spot. And so, if we are viewing Shattenkirk within that context of a team that is trying to make the playoffs, he 100% gets them closer to the playoffs. Kevin Shattenkirk, as Jake described earlier has some very good underlying numbers, You but you watch him play, you know he's a good defenseman, moves the puck well, maybe not the strongest defensively, but he is a massive, massive upgrade on the power play, and that's going to be huge for the Ducks because of how awful their power play has been the last three years. So he makes them unquestionably better in the present. I am yeah. so much more confident that the Ducks can make the playoffs today than I was before free agency started. But the question I want to ask you is, is this the kind of move that they should be making? Are they at that point where they are ready to start knocking on the door of the playoffs? So, I mean, it's a good question. Um, I think personally, well, one thing, sorry, one thing I did also want to go for it. Go for it. One thing I did want to add before you go into it, even if let's say you disagree with this contract and you say that the ducks are not ready to make this kind of move that they should do another year of rebuilding mm-hmm. his his contract doesn't really screw that up because no. it's low term low cap hit so you can still even if it doesn't work you're not left with this crazy check to cash essentially yeah so let me jump into your question first over kind of what the ducks should do and then get into kind of shattenkirk a little bit more afterwards because i have thoughts on shattenkirk that i, I think are important to relay but in, in terms of what the ducks should do i think it's tough. It, it, it's a very tough proposition because the Ducks have missed the playoffs for, for two years now and have looked bad doing it. And it's not as if even if you want to go back to the season prior, they got swept. There wasn't. And the Samuelis, no doubt, are probably giving Bob Murray some pressure to win and make the playoffs to get added revenue, especially with the fact that fans in the stadium is probably not going to happen for a while, especially in California. And, and so there's probably definitely some some uh some push from up upper management to be able to get the ducks into the playoffs sooner to get more revenue having said that i mean this is the conversation we've been having for a while where the ducks are kind of infatuated with making the playoffs as soon as possible and it's almost what's the saying putting the cart before the horse or something like that sure um but but basically they're they're trying to make the playoffs and trying to be a team that just gets in versus trying to make it so when they're in the playoffs, they're contending. And I think that's the key difference here. And we compare them to other teams that are kind of doing that where you, the Ducks haven't even, 
I wouldn't even say they've even committed to a retool or rebuild in they the really last year. It, they, it's not as it, it's not kinda, as it, they've accidentally done it, the, the rebuild. It's not as if Murray intentionally has gone for been bad for two years. He's been trying to make the team better. So it's not as if this is a situation where it was two years of pain and now they're coming out of it with all of these this draft capital and these prospects to be able to lead them. This is a situation where the Ducks. Bob Murray's been a little bit, uh, um, hip- not hypocritical, but he he he's kind of he's not really done anything to put. He stumbled into. I mean, Halo Defo put this uh, in the best way. They've accidentally stumbled into Zgrass and Drysdale. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that's the best way to put it. And I think that's my issue with this is it in the context of Bob Murray saying we're ready to win now. We're sick of this losing, and it's like we well, haven't done anything actually to commit to that you've been trying to just make the team better the whole time and accidentally been bad and and i think that is my issue with with that thought process sure having said that i think that with kevin shattenkirk now shifting this into him he makes this team significantly better yes and i think from an enjoyment perspective you could argue and i think the argument i would have against this signing and i've we've had some conversations in our discord chat different things like that um that kind of there there are some people in our discord chat who don't love the signing and i get it because they're of the mindset of the ducks should be bad for probably another year to get one more high draft pick and and that's kind of what the franchise needs and i buy that argument i think that's a valid argument i think there is something there for it Mm -hmm. my counter to that though is um basically we have to cover every game (laughs) and completely selfishly Kevin Chattenkirk makes this team more fun. Well, at least the power plays won't just be practicing but, puck retrievals behind their true. own net. <laughs> and, and and the thing with, with Shattenkirk is I have on the screen, and it's been up for a while, you can see Good Branson versus Shattenkirk. And that's essentially the, the swap here. You're mm-hmm. swapping Eric Good Branson, who, granted, was all right last year, had had a little bit of a renaissance, even though these numbers aren't showing him that great. These are still better than what he was doing before, which is kind of the, the crazy thing here. Kevin Shattenkirk is a much better defenseman than that. Much, much better defenseman than that. And I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head. His contract's not cost prohibitive. The Ducks are still up against the cap this year, no doubt. They do still have LTIR in their back pocket that they can pull out. And the other thing is, the last two years of this deal, they now have a guy that is going to be locked up on a good deal. And the cap hit for the Ducks in terms of their cap space they they lose a lot of cap uh or contracts starting next summer and so having him locked up at a cheaper term for a couple of years is pretty good uh mm-hmm. pretty good for this team and i think he's also a guy that if you're looking and care about leadership and things like that i think he's a guy that can help out with that in terms of especially by the end of his time with the ducks jamie drysdale may be pushing for a spot mm-hmm. and he could be a good guy to mentor jamie drysdale on the right right side and, and so I, I think there's a whole lot of positives. And I think Shattenkirk makes this team better now. He makes them more fun now. The argument I have against it, it or that people have against it, and it's right, is that the Ducks should probably be bad. Some well, people on our Twitch chat are chiming in real quick, by the way, that the counter to that is you don't want the kids to be coming up in a losing environment. Yeah. And but, having Shattenkirk in helps. Sure. Um, but what I would say is that What's interesting with the Ducks is that if they are really all in on being a playoff team, they didn't really apply that logic to the draft because the picks they made in the first round in particular are not they're not guys who project to make the NHL in the near future. 
uh, unless they fully believe Jamie Drysdale can make the jump sooner rather than later, which doesn't seem to hold up now that they've signed uh, Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, you're you're banking on guys who are going to be on your team probably three years from now. If they were fully all in on Wood now, I hate to say it again, but the pick at six is probably not Jamie Drysdale. It's probably like a Marco Rossi, right? And so I do kind of appreciate the fact that when it came down to the draft, they weren't maybe bullied into going for a more short-term pick and they stuck to taking guys who they think project the best long-term. So I do commend them for that. And yeah, I think that it, it won't hurt for the Ducks to be a bit more competitive in the short term. Um, let's go over the roster a little bit, unless you you have more to say on Shattenkirk. Um, let me just show this real quick. So last year, now up on the screen is power play. Um, power play, uh, RIPM. And you can see just from, uh, this is over the last three years, but if I were to go to just last year alone, mm-hmm. Cam Fowler, I think we can both agree, was the Ducks' uh, number one um number one power play defenseman last year you can see just wasn't there for him cam fowler just isn't that number one guy for the um number one guy for the power play and kevin shattenkirk is kevin and granted he's he's great granted kevin shattenkirk is very good or sorry kevin shattenkirk and tampa lightning tampa lightning were a very very good team but even if i do this over a multi-season you can see that even in new york shattenkirk was pretty good so this the one that's on the screen now combines um the past three seasons um so it's not just during his time in tampa so i i think that there's a whole lot of positives in the shattenkirk signing i think it's going to make them a lot better i think that the shattenkirk deal makes this is probably the best ducks defense and we'll get into that more as we look at the roster this is probably the best ducks defense that they've had in a couple of years well so let's let's get into it um real quick one more thing because it was asked in our twitch chat about expansion draft uh-huh. with shattenkirk um shattenkirk the fact that this is a three-year deal means that he can be exposed and will hit the 40 70 rule if he is exposed i expect that to be the case it sounds like he has a no trade clause is what people are putting in the twitch chat i'm he does. not he does yep. um it's not a full nmc though so he yeah it, it, it doesn't affect his standing for, expansion draft yeah yeah so let's talk about this roster because it, it has changed a little bit so do you want to just let's start with the blue line since that's what's the most directly impacted here. So if you're Dallas Akins and you're coming up with these pairings, are you sticking with Lindholm and Manson as a pairing? I think so. Okay. So you go Lindholm Manson first pair. I think you I think you have to because I mean they have the history together. Um they they're they're the guys that have worked so well together in the past. We've seen Josh, Man- Josh Manson with Cam Fowler and for whatever reason it just didn't work. Who knows? What it was, if it was just from the time, I believe it was Carlisle that did it, so it could have just been a Carlisle thing. But, I mean, we have enough sample size with, with Lindholm Manson to know that that works, and I would just keep it there. Yeah, so I, I think that it's a good place to start. You kind of get a freebie there. And then your second pairing, I think it's got to be Fowl or Shattenkirk, right? I don't think there's mm-hmm. much much debate there. How, yeah. do, how do you see that pairing shaking out? Because to me... Shattenkirk is a great five-on-five player and and has been at least in the recent past. Um, Fowler, though, wasn't really good at five-on-five until really last year. And so I'm very curious to see how those two are going to gel together. Because if the Cam Fowler we saw last season shows up and the Kevin Shattenkirk of the last two to three years shows up, the Ducks could have a really, really good second slash 
first pairing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Shagdirk Fowler could be one of the best pairings in the NHL. I could see them really being a solid offensive pairing. And then with Fowler and Lindholm, or sorry, with Lindholm and Manson, you can really go back to having them just be that shutdown pairing. Or you could mix and match and maybe do go back to Fowler Manson and do try Lindholm Shattenkirk. I mean, Lindholm Shattenkirk could also be amazing. (laughs) I mean, that could be that. If you want to talk about analytics, darlings, Lindholm plus Shattenkirk is kind of, kind of it. Here's the funny thing on Shattenkirk. He's a lot better at five on five than anyone gives him credit for. And I remember saying this last year also, Mm -hmm. he's a guy that actually now up on the screen is last season uh, for Shattenkirk and last season for Cam Fowler at five on five. So you'll be able to see he actually was really good at suppressing chances last year and suppressing uh, high-quality shots against. And Mm -hmm. that's something that could be very helpful with Cam Fowler. Cam Fowler last year was great at suppressing shots, but not necessarily chances as much. So they may be uh, a match made in heaven. Now, granted, Cam Fowler had a fantastic year last year. He was, in my opinion, and I think you and I both agree on this, he was the Ducks' best defenseman last year, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. Um, and, And so I think those two together could be fun and and they were both good in their own zone last year. Mm -hmm. And so they may not be, they may be able to help each other out dynamically offensively because that was actually funny enough. One thing that both of them kind of suffered at was being offensively gifted and defensively, they were both kind of solid. So I Mm -hmm. think them two together would be a whole lot of fun. It would be a very different um, type of D pair than we've kind of seen. But I mean, granted, we say that Cam Valley was paired with Michael Lozado last year, who's not necessarily known for being the, yeah. the stalwart defensive defenseman. He, I mean, Michael Lozado came up with what the reputation. What is Michael Lozado known for? I mean, wasn't he drafted as an offensive defenseman? That's what he was known for. Sure. Um, I mean, that was that was his calling card in junior, I guess. Well. The point I'm just trying to make here is that with Fowler, he is a little bit of an unknown, but with Shattenkirk there, I think that like you were saying with his defensive game, he could, he could actually shore that up a little bit. Yeah. Um, now, do you want to talk about the third pairing at all? Sure. Okay. So the guys that I'm projecting right now are Christian Juice, Jacob Larson, and Cody Curran to be in that mix. Um, outside of that, are there really any other names that you could see getting in there? Maybe Yanni Hockenpah is Josh someone Mahura that... Josh also. Well, so here's the thing. Those are the three I'm projecting, right? Curran, yes. Larson, and Juice. But here are another three names that could, in theory, be in that mix. Josh Mahura, Yanni Hockenpah, and Brendan Gooley. <laughs> so that's three additional guys. Now, I would put Mahura probably on the lower end of that tier, but Josh Mahura is in his last year heading into RFA. So who knows if the Ducks want to give him a bit more of an extended look just to have a better idea of his contract. Brandon Gooley, they traded Brandon Montour to get him. Don't they want to see what they have in him? I mean, he is locked up for another two years, um, but he's already 23. And then with Yanni Hockenpah, I could see him coming up just doing what he's been doing the last, the, the, the time he's been with the Ducks, just back and forth, really. But if it is the, the three that I'm projecting, which is Larson, Curran, and Juice, especially if they stick with Curran and Juice in the third pairing, that could be a decent third pairing. It could be an okay third pairing. We don't really know yet what Cody Curran is going to look like at the NHL level because we've never seen it. No one's ever seen it. But Christian Juice was fantastic in the in, you know after being acquired from Washington at the trade deadline. Now, we all know the story on Jacob Larson. I, I don't need to get into it too much. Right now, he's my seventh defenseman in this lineup. But what do you, 
when you put all of that together, Fowler, Lin, or sorry, uh, Linholm Manson, Fowler Shattenkirk, Curran Juice, and Larson as your seventh, or Gooley as your seventh, or whoever, how do you rate that blue line group? Um, I think if we're talking about six defensemen being the, the top four that we talked about, and then Juice and Curran, Cody Curran, I think that's a fantastic defense, honestly. I mean, so now up on the screen uh, is the RPM chart at five on five for Christian Juice versus Jacob Larson. So you'll be able to see that Christian Juice, it's not as if he was significantly better than average. He was better than average, but not significantly so. But if Juice is replacing Larson, Larson was bad. I love, I Lar- love, I love that you have this chart up because, yeah, for anyone who's it, in our Twitch chat, it, it's, it is, or or watching on YouTube, it's bad. It's, it's a, really, it, really bad. It says it all, doesn't it? Um, and, and I think that honestly, I mean, getting Shattenkirk is a big plus. I, I think it helps with the top four, and we talked about it with Good Branson being a, being better than uh, we thought last year. But Shattenkirk is without a doubt a big upgrade on him. But one of the biggest things for this team is that third pairing of Larson Holzer was so bad last year. And that was one of the biggest holes on the Ducks roster was any time that they were on the ice, they just got shattered. Well, and absolutely shattered. And, and here's another thing that I want to point out. Even if we can say that good Branson was good on the Ducks, even if he had good numbers, I just, if you look at the totality of his career, you know that the level of hockey that that group that they had on the back end last year, the level of play that they can provide at their absolute peak is just not that high, right? You're banking yeah. on some guys who have never really done it to bring it. Now, with Shattenkirk in the fold, not only does it push some guys down, like we've been talking about with Juice and Larson, but it it gives a guy like uh, Cam Fowler even more room to operate. It takes pressure off of Lindholm and Manson. I can't stress enough how much bringing Shattenkirk reinvigorates that that back end for the Ducks. Yep, and I mean, here's the thing, though. Like I was saying, that Shattenkirk signing is fantastic for the top four, but almost as impactful is the fact that you potentially could have Christian Juice and, granted, we don't know what Cody Coran is. So we I, don't. I think we should, we there's should a, make there, that clear. There, there's a lot riding on him. <laughs> there is. But if he can just be an average NHL defenseman, Having that instead of Corbinian Holzer as the the third pairing defenseman, if you can just have Christian Juice, who's slightly above average, plus uh, Cody Coran being average and mm-hmm. giving you some boost on the power play, that's a that third pairing becomes not negative value. Yeah, which, which is which is a big plus for the Ducks, and and, and, and that and and, and, the, and, and that may be mm-hmm. as valuable as bringing in Shattenkirk. To be honest, as as weird as that sounds. That yeah. is as valuable as that. No, that's that is a good point by you. I think that that it's absolutely true that just not having a terrible third pairing that you can't trust at all makes you a better team by a big margin. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Jake just hitting it on the nose. Let's let's talk a yeah. little bit about the forwards though. I mean, I know that they're less impacted by all this. Okay, actually no. Before we talk about the forwards, what is going on in the Anaheim net? So we obviously know that John Gibson is the man, but Ryan Miller to date has not re-signed with the Ducks. Has he even has he retired? Because he's not even listed on the Ducks roster on Cap Friendly anymore. He doesn't even appear as a UFA. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, but right now, here are the, the goaltenders that the Ducks have um, in their system signed to contracts. They've got Anthony Stolarz, Ole Eriksson Roman Derny and Lucas Dostal. So 
that's a bunch of guys with yeah. varying levels of experience, varying levels of ability. What do you do if you're, if you're the Ducks right now? Because John Gibson, as I've said on this show many times, needs a capable backup. You can't just put a warm body behind him and have John Gibson play 70 games. John Gibson's workload needs to be reduced as much as as much as possible. So what are you projecting right now for this Ducks uh, net mining situation? I mean, it really kind of feels as if it's Anthony Stolarz as the backup. Uh, I mean, it, that that's kind of where uh, Lucas Dostal is not coming over. Lucas Dostal is, uh, is, uh, well, so I think friend, he's on loan friend, currently. Friend of the show, John Broadbent, who defending the nest SD, we should check out on Twitter follows the gulls very closely doesn't he just doesn't believe that the gulls would roll with roman dirty and only erickson as their goaltenders but i kind of disagree just in the sense that there's not there's not really any other options unless they bring in someone from the outside um i don't know like i, I agree with you i think it's stolars or bust right now for the ducks backup in the nhl yeah, because I'm trying to look up right now kind of what UFAs there are currently available in terms of goaltending. Ryan Miller. Um, and, I mean, Thomas Grice is now off the board. Yep. Mike Smith has been re-signed. Yep. Um, that I'm goal, trying to think that, about... That, it, the thing is, if the Ducks... Jimmy, I guess Jimmy... There's Craig Anderson always. Yeah. Uh, it, Corey Snyder is now available. If the Ducks were really in on the goaltending carousel and really wanted a, a name to come in... They would they would have gotten in on it, but you saw that that happened really fast early Friday morning. So, a Jimmy Howard could be okay. Craig Anderson could be okay. I don't know what they're willing to accept contract wise, but I don't know if I'd feel comfortable with them having Stolarz as their backup. I just he's a bit he's a bit too unproven. Maybe you just give him a chance, start the season off with him as the backup, see how he handles it. But that that is because right now the Ducks are trying to win, right? So you can't have a liability when John Gibson's not in net. Yeah, you you can't. You gotta have you. you I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. You gotta have someone there. Yeah, I mean, now we're. I'm viewing this team as a win now team. I'm I'm not doing the whole. Well, how does this project for the future? You need a good backup goalie now if you're bringing in Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, mm-hmm. So. A lot, a lot to be determined there. We we don't quite know yet. Let's. Do you want to just drill through the forwards? Uh, sure. So first line, who 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 projects as your first line for next season? Uh, projecting for first line, I mean, it's probably going to be. I mean, they they did a little bit with this of Sonny Milano, Ryan Getzloff, and uh, potentially Ricard Raquel on that right side. Potentially uh, Jacob Silverberg. You know what? I'll just throw Jacob Silverberg there for now. So Silverberg, Getzloff, and Milano. Yeah. Okay. Second line. Are, so are you going uh, Raquel, Henrique, and Terry? Terry. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think you need Silverberg in the second. Well, end. I I don't know if this this is. I, if you want to keep going, we can. The issue with this is there uh-huh. could be trades that happen. Could there? I I mean we're we're going through the forward group right now, and we're gonna get to it with the bottom bottom pairing or bottom lines. Is this does not feel like a set roster? No, I I think it's close to set. So okay. So on the third on the third line, you have Sam Steele. He's your set in stone third line center. Unless something drastic changes, he's your third-line center. Um, and then on his wing, you could have Max Jones. You could have Danton Heinen, right? Like, that's a plausible third line. Or if Max Contois comes up and beats out Max Jones for that spot, 
Or maybe that's where Trevor Zegras fills in on the wings, right? But that, to me, feels like a likely third line for them. And then on the fourth line, we've already talked about it. There's so many candidates, but it could be Brownie, Delorier, Grant. It could be Grant, Brownie, Agazino, right? It could be a bunch of guys. So I actually think that, or, or Bacchus is also in that mix. You could, you could make an argument that their forward lineup is pretty set. There's not a lot of moving pieces in there. The only moving pieces are which guys from the prospect pool make the jump full-time into the NHL. So Zegras and uh, Max Contoir Re- on that list Real quick, just for Tony, the reason why we have Zegras as a wing is basically Bob Murray confirmed that he, if he plays this year for the Ducks, it's going to be on the wing. Yes. And, but, but, and so that reduces his – like, to me, Trevor Zegras is going to be in San Diego. I, I don't – I just don't well, see a scenario. I, I disagree with that, actually. He, I, I hard he, dis- You think he spends the majority of the season in Anaheim? Well, here's the issue, and this okay. is one thing we haven't. Here's one thing we haven't talked about okay. with this is that we don't know what's happening with the AHL. Bob Murray even said, I guess, in that 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 interview thing that he did. Well, okay, what does that mean, though? We don't know what's happening. Are, you're we saying- don't know when it's gonna. We don't know when it's gonna start. It, it's gonna start after the NHL starts. It's gonna uh-huh. start potentially in February. Okay. So if you have a month a month or two where you have the NHL going and the AHL's not, you're telling me that you have your number one prospect, one of the best prospects outside of the NHL right now. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that you're going to let him sit on the sideline and not be playing in games, not getting experience um, just because the AHL hasn't started. You're telling me that you're going to hinder his development as a result of that. Well, would it be good for his development to be on the wing? I here's the thing i think it would be good for his development to get professional games well the yeah i would prefer to see him in the nhl i'm not i'm not saying that he's not that i don't want him there i just look at this lineup and i just wonder something has to give for zgress to have a true shot now he may just get into camp play really well and just earn his spot but there's a long list of guys who are occupying those spots I just think that if the AHL isn't starting for a month or so, because the NHL is now okay, targeted but l- January 1. L- l- let's assume the a- the AHL will start around the same time, in- enough to where it doesn't but, make a huge difference. But, I mean, it's hard to really kind of go no, with that. No, no, but let's say that it were, just all things being equal. Okay, okay. What do you think would happen? I think he probably starts the season in the AHL. Okay. But I think that, well, there you with, go. that not be- with that not being the case, though, that changes things a lot. And also, I should mention the 10 game. There's a lot of people asking about expansion draft with Zgrass. 10 game thing and everything like that. So expansion draft, let me just hit on this real quick. Zgrass is not eligible for the expansion draft. He is a first, he will be a first year pro. He is exempt from it completely. As for the 10, uh, 10 game rule. If he plays in 10 games, then this year does not count as an entry year, entry level slide. And that may be the argument for him not playing in the NHL. If he plays under 10 games in the NHL this year, this year slides and it does not count as a year off as ELC. Mm-hmm. So that may be the reason, but I, I think uh, bring us the dingus chimes in with the actual quote from Bob Murray saying it may not start at all because there are seven unaffiliated AHL teams uh, or not unaffiliated. They're not owned by the NHL team. And so they don't want to play in stadiums without fans. I will, because that, I, I will make, I will make, do you want to make a bet right now? Sure. Cause What's you're the, the one that's always pushing bets on me. Hey, I'm always for it because it's fun. Okay, I will bet that Trevor Zegers plays, assuming that there is an AHL season, a workable AHL season, I would bet that Trevor Zegers plays more games in the AHL next year than the NHL. I think that's fair. I I don't know. I'm not going to take that bet because I agree with it. (laughs) 
coward. I mean, I'm not a coward. I say <laughs> I think, I think the, the issue is, is that I think the AHL season is starting later. So that means he'll start in the NHL. I think maybe eventually I he'll also, get sent down and spend more games down there. I also I don't know if he should really make that big leap quite yet. I, I'm, I'm a little less high on the notion that Zgress is going to be an immediate star in the NHL. I think he's so going gonna, to need a little grooming. Here's the better bet. Would be, should Z, will Zgress start in the NHL or not? Does he make it out of camp? Just Will he start the season in the NHL? Understanding that the AHL could be later. I'll go with yes, which, again, yeah, makes I our agree. bet not really workable. It, it's not exactly a bet. So, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, l- let's kind of get to it right now. Um, Trevor Zegras could be playing center, though. And you and I heard something that on a TSN radio show, there was mention that uh, potentially Adam Henrique and Josh Manson were in the rumor mill. So no actual confirmation. But yeah. I but I mean, it would make sense. It would make sense with both of them being it, in the rumor it, it, mill. Honestly, though, it doesn't make sense anymore. Okay. Because hit me with it. Because if the Ducks are trying to make the playoffs and you trade either of those guys, your chances of making the playoffs get significantly worse depending on what you get back. If you're that's if, the key thing. If if you're trading them for just like a lateral type move, let's say a younger version of themselves, then yeah, maybe your playoff chances are relatively unchanged, but. If you're trading them now for picks or prospects, if you can forget about being a, you know, your the, the the whole win now narrative because look, if you strip Adam Henrique from this roster, maybe Adam, maybe Sam Steele makes the big leap next season, that 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 big leap that we sometimes see guys make where he does become a, a legit 2C. But where else is the offense going to come from down the middle? And with Josh Manson, well, yeah. We, we we talked about it with the blue line. If you strip Josh Manson off that blue line, that's another big hole to fill. So so can can, can I give my uh, my uh, the, out there trade proposal? The Vince Dunn thing is not happening. Uh, it could happen. It's not happening. How does Vince Dunn fit on this that roster? There's no way that. Well, St. Louis I can just get that no deal no. Done. I just don't see it with the Ducks. Why not? Because what are the Ducks going to give the the Blues to make this work? Because the Ducks don't have any cap space either. You can. Uh, that is. That is why you these move are these, Josh the, Manson. These are two cap strapped teams. That you, is you why need you to make move multi- Josh Manson. In, you need to make two move. trades to get Vince Dunn. Yeah, but that's Do a it. lot of work. No, but I don't see much, Bob Murray doing no, this. Fair. No, that's fair. That's fair, and I think that's the argument for it not happening. But here's the issue: Are the Ducks better by being creative like this? By if you trade Josh Manson for for draft capital potentially. For for picks, for prospects, for things like that, then you go and you you then flip that draft capital potentially, or or, or prospects. Let's say Sam Steele, other guys like that, and you take Tyler Bozak in return along with Vince Dunn. Are the Ducks better with Vince Dunn in the lineup as compared to Josh Manson? The Ducks don't. Where's this? Hold on. Where's this cap space coming from? In this scenario. So I just said they move after, Manson. So you move Manson to St. Louis. No, to you do a separate trade. Okay. A lot of moving pieces for this to there work. There are 100% a lot of moving pieces. Sure. But here's I mean, the yeah, thing. That's it, how you get better. I understand. I, I, I am not discounting that you need to do difficult things to improve. The point I'm trying to make is that the Ducks don't strike me. I mean, it, 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 it took them. Not. You're probably right It there. took them two just, years to figure out that, hey, maybe we should have another right shot D 
on our blue line, uh, or not even figure it out, but just to act upon it. Uh, yeah. So I I don't know. That I mean, but it makes sense. It makes sense. I, yeah. I will give you this. It does make sense if you can pull it off. Vince Dunn makes more sense for this team, arguably now and definitely later than Josh Manson does. Yeah, and I think that's the key thing there is is, is getting those the that's the exact type of move you should be making as a Ducks uh, as the Ducks drum. Well, because you're able is, you're, you're able to check all the boxes of winning now yes. and yeah, so it makes sense. But so I don't that, see it that's, happening. That's to me what I should do. But so we're getting a lot of questions in the Twitch chat. One of them is where and, and this is coming from a bunch of different people with especially with our conversation about Shattenkirk, um, and, and kind of the fact of how you one person mentioned we're talking about him as if like the duck signs got Niedermeyer in terms of impact. Um, how is signing a defenseman really going to help this team when goal scoring was the big issue? Let me lay this <laughs> out there question. real quick. The, the ducks were fourth in expected goals against per 60 last year in terms of fourth worst. Fourth lot, fourth loss. So it's not as if that goal scoring was the only issue for this team. Well, yeah, this is something we discussed on, on the draft night pod. Sure, the Ducks needed a goal scorer because they suck at scoring, but they also suck at defending. So yeah. it's it's justifiable to go out and get a good defenseman. And and also, kind of, this is a funny thing. The Ducks are better at expected goals for uh, per 60 in terms of their rank than they are expected goals against. They're 23rd in the league in expected goals for per 60, and then expected goals against, they would be, if you're going from the top uh, being the best to the bottom, they're 27th. So 27th and 20, uh, 23rd. So goal scoring, not as big of an issue actually as goal prevention for the ducks in terms of chances. Well, this is, I, this is leaving out Gibson from it. So goal scoring is still an issue for this team. Yes. Now it's actually the bigger issue outside. Now that they have Shattenkirk signed. Well, and I think that Shattenkirk because of his offensive capabilities could, could also arguably help uplift the, offensive numbers i mean it's not mutually exclusive a defenseman is not just you know he's not ineligible to help offensively either and help those numbers just because you bring in a defenseman it doesn't mean that because he is a defenseman your goal scoring numbers can't improve either i would imagine that if you look at all situations having kevin shattenkirk on the on the team could actually make them a better scoring team if it maybe not significantly but to a degree if you factor in power play Am I, cr- yeah. am I crazy so, there? No, you're not at all. Um, so the issue for this team, though, now now that that is all, now that the I would say the defense is kind of settled at this point, maybe there's a move that's made for a guy like a uh, like a Vince Dunn for <laughs> Manson, things like no, no. But I think that's the type of move that should be made. Uh-huh. If not, the, this defense is kind of set at this point in time. Sure. Um, the issue for this team is now goal scoring, and, and that's what a lot of people have asked about is where are the goals gonna come from for this team and i think that's a really valid question for this team of i you personally there's only one one maybe two maybe three players where i think you could kind of check in them scoring 20 goals this year and i think that's raquel silverberg and maybe henry well so here's the thing with the goal scoring is that we can't look at goal scoring as this singular thing because to get to the point where you're scoring a goal multiple things have to occur correctly and in your favor in sequence to get to that point you have to recover the puck in your own zone you have to make a good breakout pass you have to make a good pass in the neutral zone make the correct decision when entering the neutral zone you have to maintain possession of the puck 
you have to either decide whether you're going to go to the slot or the point, get to the front of the net, chase the second opportunity, right? We can't look at goal scoring as this just true. fixed That's true. thing. And so if you look at the Ducks' process, their process isn't good. Their bottom third and shot attempts, bottom third and scoring chances, bottom third and expected goals, as you mentioned. So it's not like they're getting unlucky by not scoring. It's the, the entire process is just yeah. lackluster. Yeah. And so bringing in a Kevin Shattenkirk does improve your it does improve your process I, even if he's not giving you points or goals he's helping that but, process like but this saying. is this is the point where we got to see if dallas akins can step up as a coach because he didn't yeah. he didn't instill a true a true improvement you know a true recognizable improvement in these areas of the game we didn't really yeah. see that last year and so if you look at the ducks collection of talent up front because that's kind of what it is it's a collection of talent I think there's enough there to cobble together a somewhat workable NHL offense, if we want to call it that, right? Use football terms. If You can get a decent transition game out of those guys. You've got a Sonny Milano. You've got a Ricard Raquel. Danton Heinen, that the entire point of getting him was he's a better transition player than Nick Ritchie. Um, and now with, a, with some additional mobility on the back end with Shattenkirk as well as a full season of juice, if... Dallas Aikens can't get a better better process out of these guys, then that's when I would be a little concerned because the, now the pieces are there to have uh, some improvement in that area. Yeah, and so, okay, want to move on to some, uh, some questions that we've got? Let's do it. All right, so for everyone in Twitch chat, let's get some questions. Uh, if you have questions, start throwing them in. But for those of you watching the recorded version of this on YouTube, yes, we're on YouTube. You can find us going youtube.com slash crash the pond. Um, we do a Twitch live stream each and every podcast. Find us at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime sub each and every month. You just have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days, and you will subscribe to the show, and it helps out more than you can imagine. With that subscription, you get special emotes in the chat, special badge next to your name. And if you don't have Amazon Prime or don't want to hit that subscribe button, if you hit that follow button and, and you're enjoying what you're uh, you're watching, you'll get notified anytime we go live so we actually got uh cheers from uh, ducks go so i want to give them a shout out they used 100 bits one of them was asking us basically about who's please explain who's going to score the goals and i think we did a decent job of going over that uh in the last little bit um and he also said should the ducks grab tyler johnson well he would he would kind of fit what, what we're talking about here i i haven't really uh looked into the the numbers for him but i do think that he would make sense. They need another center who can drive play, who can provide some offense, but the Ducks don't have any cap space. So they, or roster space. They, or roster space. So you would have to make a corresponding move to get Tyler Johnson in there. So I don't really know. I, I just don't see it really happening. Yeah. Okay. Let's. Uh, Bonnie gave us a question saying, are the training wheels off of Dallas Akins, and will he have fewer controls? telling him what to do basically fewer people above him telling him what he has to do well we don't actually know that <laughs> yeah that, that that's the thing so if you look at dallas aiken's last season and just the the way that they kind of brought him along they brought him they brought in daryl sutter the legendary coach who led the kings to two stanley cups to be an advisor to the head coach and he's still there he still has a voice in the room. Bob Murray is still watching all this unfold. So the training wheels should come off. I think that they do need to find out truly what they have in Dallas Akins. Um, but 
I, I can't really tell from the outside what kind of groundwork is being laid to get to that point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but I think that it's put up or shut up time for Eakins. Well, this, well it this is. is. It is. We need to find out if he's a good coach. Yeah, and I think this is the year where we're going to have to find out, basically, right. uh, for that. So we've got this question uh, that comes in from Heyo Float. Simple question. It's really not that simple. Come on. This is actually a tough one. <laughs> what is the Ducks' floor and ceiling next year um, in terms of record slash playoffs? So their floor, I think, is... So floor is just the average outcome? Floor, no. Floor is the, the bottom bottom outcome. Okay. Because in fantasy football, I feel like floor means something different. But anyway, um, so yeah, the bottom outcome, the worst outcome for them is just, again, same thing as this year, right? They don't get the contributions they were hoping for from the young players. The older players continue to regress. John Gibson doesn't have, you know, kind of continues this bit of a downtick he's going through. And they're picking in the top 10 again. I mean, that that is the bottom tier outcome for sure for this team. Now... I think we all know that, though. I don't think that that's breaking any news. The question becomes, what can this? What can they achieve? What is their ceiling? So my view of their ceiling right now, I think that they're, they're a first-round team right now. If we're being fully honest, right, even though Shattenkirk changes a lot of things, and if you bake in some improvement from the youngsters, they're probably still maybe a tough out in the first round. I, I can't see them getting, well, getting to the conference final. So let, let's do it like this instead in terms of instead of saying how far they're going to go in the playoffs where do you think they finish the season in terms of in the pacific if if the pacific indeed is the pacific that we expect it to be because there's some conversation what do we of, expect it to be well as in what the pacific so arizona is. arizona might be bad next season um well by when i said the pacific in terms of that i meant who knows what the division alignment's going to be because there's some chatter that the Canadian or Canadian teams may just be their own division. Okay. Well, uh, whatever. I mean, stuff. looking, but assuming the Pacific is the Pacific. Yeah. So San Jose is probably still going to be pretty bad. Uh, Vancouver, although they had the nice playoff run, they could arguably be a worse team next season. Uh, yeah. Vegas will probably still be in that top three LA, right? At some point, the leap forward is going to happen, but I don't know if it's next season. I quite don't think yet. it's next season. Yeah. Edmonton, um, I, mm. I like Tyson Berry for them because they're kind of just doubling down on what they're already good at. Their goaltending is still a massive issue, though. It is, but they managed to get in this year with those guys. So True. I, I think there's enough firepower there for them to do it again. Calgary is an interesting one because Jacob Mark... Wild card. What? Wild card. Yeah, th- yeah, they're probably more of a wild card. So my my only real lock in the Pacific right now is Vegas. Outside of yep. that... So where do the Ducks fit in terms of the, the this group of, of hopefuls? I think they're right in there, and I think they could either be a wild card or they could be a top three. It's I could I I could see them maybe getting up to second if all things fall right for this Ducks team. Maybe they're second in the Pacific. Sure. So sure. If, if we're talking absolute ceiling for this sure. team, that's where I would put it. Sure. Yeah, I, I I think second is probably the absolute ceiling because I can't see them dislodging a, a vegas for example no um but so yep i think that uh anything else you want to add on that i think that that's a good kind of potential high point for, and what's for funny is that at. i think this is kind of similar to what we said going into last season yeah 100 but i think now it's more believable than it was last time around 
Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I also think it, you can also look at it in this way. The kids have another year. Yeah. Potentially that could help well, I, I, with, I think, with, with a production push from them. Yes. We, we are getting into the range now where one of the kids should should pop, should have the net, have kind of that that season where have they break Have a 30 out. to 40 point season. <laughs> that's where we're setting the bar. No, but in all seriousness, that you know, that's – one of them is going to do that this year. Do you want to make a bet on who it'll be? I just want to get um, a bet out of you in this podcast. Troy Terry? I don't think it's Troy Terry. I think Troy Terry, I've said this before, he settles in as a really solid middle six uh, it's Troy Terry. play driver. It's it's probably Comtois. I think it's Max Comtois. I, it's probably Comtois. You're probably right. You could argue Trevor Zegras. I mean, you could say Trevor Zegras is that guy, but true. To, true. to me, it's uh, it's either, and now this is going. This might sound hypocritical for me for all the critiques I've thrown his way, but it's either going to be Max Contois or Sam Steele. I think Sam Steele is due now for his first NHL, his first true NHL performance type season. Um, so we'll see. So so factoring in that one of those guys breaks out which we're kind of treating as a as a constant here which might not end up being it's, the, it's definitely it's not it's definitely not but assuming that we're building that into our equation here um, does that does that outweigh let's say a Ryan Getzloff at age 35 really taking a step back let's say well and that this is where i think maybe this is the volatility why, this is why why you why you hope Trevor Zegras plays at center is if Zegras can somehow make if he's the one making that step that takes pressure off of Getzloff mm-hmm. and scoring pressure off of Getzloff and, and helps this team depth-wise. And that's why I would be looking at And also, center, we, but... we don't know what kind of Adam Henrique will show up next season either because he had a... Adam Henrique had a legitimately good he, season last very year. Very good season. He was the best duck forward last year. Yes, but we don't necessarily know if that will happen again. That's the thing. So we'll, we'll just have to see. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got a bunch, so don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, boy. And I also have one from Twitter that we need to get oh, to. Oh, boy. Uh, D Frenzy asked, uh, will Bob Murray be the general manager after the expansion draft? Do you think this last deal was a prove-it deal? Because he, so just be clear, he is actually signed through the season after the expansion draft, yeah. so through next season. So he has this season and next one. Um, but he also adds, or do you think the Samuels would never think of firing him? Basically, do you think that this could be his last chance? And that's why he's going for it. <laughs> I think it's it's a double-edged sword because I think he is going for it because he knows that he has to show something. But I also think that the fact that he feels this way reveals a little bit about what kind of pressure he's under. I don't think the Samuelis, and again, this is all complete conjecture. I don't know whether or not that this is what they think, but just looking at how he's acting, I think that they want to be a competitive team. I think that they've they've been really used to that for the majority of their tenure in Anaheim. And I think it really does hurt the business when the Ducks aren't good. I, I mean, I, we were at games last season, and Honda Center was not anywhere close to packed on a lot of nights. And that's that's got to hurt, right? Especially in a in a market like the you know greater Los Angeles area where you just have so many choices as a sports fan. Um, I think the Ducks, they need to matter to some degree. And you can't have these miserable seasons over and over because you are going to lose people and you're going to lose money, especially in this very bizarre 
economic reality that we're dealing with. So I think that he's just under a lot of pressure from the top down, and he's just acting in accordance. If if the owners were telling him, you know, we believe in a vision that focuses on development and building from the draft, and if we lose some games, that's fine. We just have a vision for this team. We agree with it. And if that was his vision as well, um, then I think that that's what he would be doing. I think in his own head, maybe that thought has crossed his mind, but he's unwilling to go down that route, and he just thinks that the best way to go for him is to win. So yeah, there it is. Yep. Maybe owners don't ever think that way. Maybe owners just only care about uh, the bottom line every single year. And if and if Murray came up to them and and really sold them on the rebuild, maybe they would go with him on that. But that's not how I see it right now. Yeah. Um, Sean Seabolt asked, uh, what has happened to Isaac Lundestrom? So he's actually over, I believe, somewhere in Europe. But I believe Bob Murray mentioned that he is not playing in the SHL or he's not been loaned. So he has the ability to come back because if he was playing in the SHL, he would have to stay there mm-hmm. um, for the entire season or it's something like that. So uh, he has the ability. He'll probably be back in the AHL. I mean, here's the issue with Lundestrom. This, I think this was one of the first drafts that we probably covered together. Mm-hmm. I think was the Lundstrom draft. Maybe yep, it was. I can't really it remember. And, and you and I both thought this at the time. Lundstrom was a, a low, a high floor, low ceiling type of guy. And that's what we're getting from him. Uh, he, he's a, we might not be even getting high floor at this point. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair. Fair. <laughs> he, he was never a flashy play. And the issue that you have with that is he doesn't have the upside to become a legit NHLer. And, and maybe he becomes that. I mean, he's still young. He still has the potential he's to develop, still has the potential to grow. But if he does become that, the floor, it's kind of like what we thought. It, it's a fourth-line, third-line center, and that's a high-floor, low-ceiling player. That's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, the, so, the, the, the thing with Lundestrom is he just, at this point, he's almost proven to not be an impact guy offensively. You know, he he will probably play in the NHL. He probably makes it as a, a depth player. I, I still believe in that because he does, when you watch Isaac Lundestrom, he has the tools. He's a decent skater. He's got good hockey sense. I think that that's something that you can really get from watching him. But you can tell that he doesn't have the elite shot. He doesn't have the hands really to to, to get into those dangerous areas. But he's a good transition player, and he's responsible in his own end. So I think, yeah, that projects as a guy who does play. But the ceiling, as you just were mentioning, is it's not. it's probably not going to happen at this point. Yeah. Uh, Sean Siebel asked, is he better than Grant, do you think? Right now, today, just in at, at nine, just at, in general, nine thirty-five p.m. Pacific time on Sunday. Um, I think right now he was really bad defensively at some points last season, but when you put him on a line with Silverberg and Raquel, his numbers were amazing. So the thing is, for me, Grant might be a little better right now just because of sheer experience, but. I would just be more curious to see what Lindstrom can do in that role because with Grant, I already know what I'm getting and it's not really enough for me to just disregard the prospects that are in the system. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we got this question and by the way, if there, anyone has more questions, throw them in the Twitch chat. We'll get to them, but there's one from Twitter that I wanted to bring up. Those from good friend of the pod, William Lewis, who's over in the UK, I believe. But question for the body said, based on the comments from Murray, could the Ducks legitimately contend with only the improvements made so far? So with no upfront scoring help. 
Um, if you're Bob, so let's just start with that. There's a couple other pieces. Let's start with that. Do you think that the Ducks can legitimately contend with the roster as currently set? Legitimately contend. What does that mean? Contend for a Stanley Cup this season. No. Uh, uh, completely agreed. They are not as cup contender no. as of right no. now. There would need to be more moves to be made to even get them close to that conversation. I don't. Even think that's if John Gibson gets back to John Gibson mode, I just they're not cup contenders. Yeah. Um, and, uh, William Lewis, he also asked if you're Bob Murray and have one transaction left to make this, uh, to make this team a contender, who do you get needs to be available and affordable? Oh, don't you, don't, don't steal mine. Well, you're saying Vince Dunn? Yeah. Um, I don't think he, does he really get them to contender level? Um, maybe not this year, but. I think he helps out long term. I mean, maybe you could argue maybe Patrick Line, but I mean, you would you're not going to say that. I know you're not. Yeah, the thing with Line is there's just too many holes in his game. I'm not excited. I'm not excited about him. Some someone actually available that that's been rumored to be available. I mean, oh, Nylander maybe. Do you want to hear my home run swing? This, sure, this is go absolute home run swing, and so much would need to happen to make this work, like in terms of salary. A guy who has been deemed expendable by his team based on rumors, well, then reports, and who is on the TSN trade bait list, Steven Stamkos. I mean, if, yeah. if you get... He is still an elite finisher. And, true, and, true, and true, his, true, true, true. And his five-on-five game, he's not really a traditional play driver, but he's fine. And he is one of the very best finishers in the in the game right now. Um, and he doesn't have the downsides of a line A, now you could say, well, just get Line because he's he's uh, younger. But I'm thinking about next year. I'm just thinking about how can the Ducks win the Stanley Cup next year? And I think Steven Stamkos gets you a little closer to that. Now I don't know what the heck you would have to move to get him to Anaheim, but that would be someone where I think, okay, you get him on board. You're clearly, I mean, just think of a power play where at the top of the one three one you have Kevin Shattenkirk. And on the left wing, you have Steven Stamkos. On the right wing, you have Ryan Getzlaff, who's just dishing out. And then you can you can have Henrik in the bumper spot or Silverberg in the bumper, bumper spot and Raquel at the front. I mean, that is an interesting power play. Very interesting. Yeah. The the issue that I have with Stamkos is he's thirty. Oh well, yeah, but I, so, but I'm just talking purely. But you, you're talking this season. Yeah. I I get I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, we we approach that a little bit differently. I approached it from being a contender long term. You approached it from being a contender right now, which is I think an interesting comparison between the two of what you're looking at between the two of mm-hmm. them. When you're looking to be a contender now, you're looking for the most skilled player at that moment to be able to try to get. Whereas when you're looking long term, you're not necessarily looking at the guy that is the most high profile, biggest talent. You're trying to find the guy that is not necessarily underutilized, but a guy that's younger, that that's still up and coming. And that's what you would get with Vince Dunn in that. Sure. And so real quick, I mean, uh, running through through the list of players potentially available, some I'm looking at the trade bait list and a lot of these guys are already actually traded, uh, funny enough. Uh, guys like uh, Andreas Johnson. Uh, supposedly, Jake DeBrusque is out there. I don't know how positive I am on getting him. Now, he's granted, a, he's, a fine, uh, he did, he's a fine second He's fine, liner. but he's, I mean, not. I don't even think he's a second I think he can liner. play second line. He's, yeah, on a bad team, he's a second liner. Um, on a good team, he's a third liner. 
Um, I mean, maybe Kyle Palmieri is a guy that uh, would really move the needle a little bit offensively mm-hmm. um, in terms of goal scoring, but that is, once again, a, a for-now uh, type of move and not a long-term move. Um, so, yeah, I, I think looking at this list, I mean, Tony D'Angelo, Tony D'Angelo and Vince Dunn are the two names that kind of really jump out at me mm-hmm. as two guys. I mean, maybe William Nylander is another one, mm-hmm. um, another one that could have been there. So, um, yeah, and so let's get into it. So th- I think that's the move. And then one other thing he had is really struggling to see how Murray thinks he's righted the ship. Is there a plan? Please tell me there's a plan. I mean, there. it seems like there's a plan, but the plan isn't what we would agree with necessarily. The plan is that they've done enough rebuilding. They have enough prospects in the pipeline. They have the Zegras. Now they have Drysdale and potentially Perot. And it's time to get back to making the playoffs. That is the plan. I mean, the Ducks yeah. have a bunch of prospects. But realistically you might get two to three stars out of those prospects at, at most, right? That's just the, pro- yeah. the way the probabilities work. It, it could, could well, end up being more, could end up being less. But they don't have enough to bank on and just say, okay, we've done enough. Time to just time to just get back to, to, to making the playoffs. But that's the route they've chosen. So the plan to me appears to be, hey, we have made our picks. We have enough guys that we really do believe in in the system. Trevor Zegras is that piece. Jamie Drysdale is that piece in the back end. And we've got enough around those two to to really feel good about our system. And we have enough guys in the NHL, look at all the blue liners, look at some of the forwards, where we think we can get back to building a competitive roster. I think that that's where their minds are at. And it's not crazy to think that. I just... It's just not. You can't. It, will you can't just will yourself. You can't just not, put it out there and will yourself I, to be good in the NHL. I, I think that's the thing is that they are completely overlooking the fact that the Ducks have like the Ducks haven't been missing the playoffs just because they've been rebuilding, which they really haven't. By the way, they've been missing no. the playoffs because their team has not been that good. The roster has not Correct. been that high Correct. performing. Right. This is the argument that we have had on the show going back to three. Like as long as we've been doing the show. It's the because it, at first, and actually this is where history has proven me right. It was oh, it's Carlisle. Carlisle is keeping the team down. Carlisle is the reason that that the Ducks can't achieve. And maybe that was true at the time with some guys more in prime age. But we've seen they move to a different coach, and the results have largely been the same. And I just think that that's proof that the roster there's not yeah. there's not enough juice left no, there. Yeah. To, to, to just say, okay, we're going to make the playoffs now. Now, of course, well, if, you, and- if you inject more players like a Shattenkirk, mm-hmm. like a Stamkos, like whoever, yeah, you're going to get better results, but that doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden a, a true well, contender. And, and, that, and, let, that, let- and also, you're not building for long-term success either. So, anyway. Exactly. Well, let me lay this out there, is that some people would say you just get in and then see what happens. I mean, look at Dallas <sighs> this year. They weren't exactly this great team. They were fourth yeah, in the but, West. Yeah, but look at but look at and, the guys that but, were driving that for Dallas, well, though. Well, no, but I'll, let me just hit this point on it though: is that you, when you build yourself, and when we're talking to become a legit contender, you're Tampa. doing that to give yourself the best percentage chance to win in the playoffs. You don't want to just be in and and you have a shot at it. That's not how you want to go about it. That 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 le- that mentality of let's just get in. 
is how you become the Minnesota Wild over the past decade, mm-hmm. where you're maybe in the playoffs, so you're with a 15th, 16th pick. Maybe you miss, so you're with a 14th or 15th pick. Mm-hmm. You're you're stuck in that mediocrity, and you're not bad enough to get yourself a high pick, but you're not good enough to actually do something in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And that is my slight concern with this Ducks roster trying to compete now. And so, like I said, I don't mind the Shattenkirk signing because from a selfish perspective, it makes this team much more enjoyable. From a directional standpoint, I think there is definitely a flaw with it that you can find, though. Sure, sure. But, um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot there. We could We could definitely go on for a while about this, but what are we at? Almost two hours now? uh hour 46 so we're we're getting up there but this has been good we 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 might still be able to hit some more questions are there any other questions um let me really quickly chime through kempafu asks us if the ducks end up just as bad as last season do you think bob murray does any dumb moves i think if the ducks are as bad as last season bob murray might be done i think i think if they miss the playoffs like they did this year i agree and they're they show no true signs of improvement. I think he's out as the GM. I, I don't th- yep. I don't and and that's part of what's is stemming this movement of getting back to being good now is Bob Murray's job is kind of riding on this season, and so he needs them to show something. Yeah, and uh, Bonnie asks us, does Murray try to go the distance as in make the Ducks good because this could potentially be gets lost last year and i'm gonna add a question to that for me mm. do you think this is gets lost last year um well are we seeing the end of the end of an era this year uh, i think he will make that decision partially based on what the team looks like because i don't think he has aims of being a you know going to another team and chasing a ring at least that's not what it sounds like um so i think that he's happy where he is his career, his legacy is set. Um, and But I don't know once he becomes a free agent next summer if it will really interest him to sign on for a team that's still clearly far away from being any good. And so, yeah, if the Ducks are competitive again, I could see Getzlaff kind of doing the, the Joe Thornton thing, right? I mean, that's the comparison yeah. that gets drawn. Year over year, you know, sign these one-year, de- one-year deals, two-year deals, and go from there. That's probably what I see as the likeliest outcome. Yep. Um, let's end with this. It's not a, a comment. Or it's not so much a question as it is a comment because mm-hmm. I think it's a valid one. And it's a very positive thought. And I think that that's why after kind of all this chat, I think it's a good thing, to, a good point to end on. Mm-hmm. It's from uh, Apparition, who's been in the Twitch chat. Been By the way, I want to give a shout out to everyone in the Twitch chat. This is, uh, we've been at, I think, about 30 Pretty people lively. in there, which is, which, which is higher than usual for us for these. So thank you, everyone, for, for chiming in. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This has been a really fun one. But the comment is, if you show promise getting in the playoffs this year and you lose, the Ducks then have a ton of cap space coming off, or cap coming off the books next year, and there will be a lot of free agents that the Ducks could be, or free agents that could be excited to sign with you. And that is one way to infuse new talent. And one thing that also is beneficial, I think, for the Ducks next summer, having all that cap space, is there's an expansion draft coming mm-hmm. up. You could be a middleman and, and take some players try to figure out ways to, to make things work, to take something off someone's hand, to be able to get something for the future to help them get out of an expansion draft bind. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lot of cap space like they do, that can help accelerate things. And if you have a smart general manager that can take advantage of that, yeah, that's one way to get you into contendership. Sure. 
One thing I did want to add on Getzlaff, if you look at his numbers, those RAPM charts that we talk a lot about, um, he's still a good offensive player. Um, the underlying numbers, so in terms of the process, you know, expected goals, shot attempts, he still drives those at a decent clip, but his defensive game has fallen off a good amount, and that might just be age or the way the team is using him, but he's not a great defensive player anymore. On the power play, um, he's okay on the power play. Last season, the Ducks did get... Now on the screen for everyone, They, they the did way. get a lot of pucks on net with him out there, but the results weren't very good. Now, if you extend your sample to the last three seasons, and I think that at his age, you do have to trust the most recent sample a bit more. But if you look at the last three years, still a very good offensive player and still a guy who on the power play, I think if you surround him with guys to actually dish the puck to, can probably drive scoring as well. So he's a guy that you... Even if even if he's on the, the the downward slope, is still a guy who has value to a team, whether that's the Ducks or someone they trade him to. But we might have to start this going into next year, even though we don't. I don't know how much we have to do it, but Ryan Getzlaff is still good. Yeah, he he is one hundred percent good. He's not going to be the uh, the the dominant force he has been in the past. But no, I mean he you, you need to adjust your expectation. But yeah, he. Uh, He's gonna be. He's still a good. And I player really, for this I team. really want to see Getzlaff's numbers on a good team where he's really committed to the defensive side of the game. Because I think if there's one thing that's maybe waned in his game, it, it is that that aspect of it. But maybe if he knew, hey, my back checking is gonna pay off for something has an end goal, then maybe he'd be doing it a lot more. He seems like the type of guy to make that that value assessment in game. Yep. So I think that's going to do it. I mean, Nate asked who will join Seattle. My bet's Henrique if he's still here. That That is that is the most – that's the most logical pick, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably going to do it, though, for us tonight. Okay. Well, what a week. What a week it was. Pretty, pretty yeah. unbelievable. I didn't think we'd be sitting here talking about Derek Grant coming back. I didn't think. Uh, I didn't. Th- why'd you gotta end with I that? I didn't think we'd be sitting here talking about Kevin Shattenkirk being on board. I didn't even really think that we'd see the Ducks draft Jamie Drysdale. I didn't think we'd see the tough the Ducks draft Jacob Perot. So a lot happened this week, and it was really good. It was really fun. If you enjoyed the experience with us, the live stream we did during the draft, the podcast we've done, there's a few ways that you can support that. So one of the main ways is our Patreon page. It's Patreon.com slash crash the pond so for one dollar a month the one dollar tier you get access to our patrons only discord chat and gotta tell you now that stuff is going on with the ducks the chat has been buzzing we've been man the the chat we we had a live reaction to multiple signings that the ducks made that day and it was a lot of fun um we we get really in depth on topics we just you know shoot the breeze um, and so for a dollar a month, if you are a diehard Ducks fan and maybe you're not necessarily surrounded with other diehard fans or you're just seeking a community of people who are really into the nuts and bolts of the game, uh, I think that our Discord chat is is the place to be. Now, yeah, Nat- Nate says uh, the Discord's lit and Hey Yo Flo said Discord has been fire. There you go. It's lit and fire. So logical progression there. Um now, for $5 a month, 
you still get access to this the Discord chat, which we just talked about and how great that is. But you also get two bonus episodes. And those episodes are a little different from what we do here. They are more in-depth on one particular topic. We do look a little bit more league-wide. But if you enjoy the banter of this show, the kind of camaraderie that we have, um, the jokes maybe, you get a lot more of that on the Patreon episodes. So those are a lot of fun. So that's $5 a month for two bonus shows. So that's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now, a way that you can support the show with no monetary investment, if you just search our podcast on the Apple Podcast app and you simply type in crash the pond, uh, there's two things you can do. You can type us in, search us, pull us up, and just scroll down to the stars, hit five stars, and that's it. You're done. You've, you've already made a great contribution and that helps us climb the rankings. But you can also leave a listener review, and those serve a multitude of... They help a, they help a they lot. They serve a multitude of different purposes. So for one, we just love hearing from you guys. Um, some of these mm-hmm. reviews we've gotten in the past are really heartwarming. Uh, when we get a positive review, we do read it on the show. Um, and those really... It's a labor of love for, for the most part, what we do. So we love hearing from you guys, but also... It does help us climb up that that Apple Podcast ranking, so it's important. A um, couple of different ways as well. Jake, you want to talk about YouTube a little bit? Yeah. So YouTube, if you go to YouTube.com/slash Crash Pond, hit that subscribe button. You'll get notified, and you can hit that bell also. Uh, ring that bell. You'll get notified anytime the episode goes up there. Those will be posted on there. Uh, roughly 30 minutes after we're done with the live stream on Twitch. Um, and if you want to subscribe, that helps out a lot. That is something that we we look at, and uh, we have a lot of people watching it, a lot of people viewing this, but fair amount aren't actually subscribers. If you're watching this right now, you're not a subscriber, go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you're liking what you're watching. That helps out a lot, uh, a lot more than you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Of course, and what about Twitch? You want to go over that one more time here? Yep, so if you go to twitch.tv slash crash the pond... If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days, um, and you will get one. You, uh, you will subscribe to the channel. You'll get uh, special emotes in the chat, special banners next to your name, and it helps out a bunch. So thank you so much. Also, want to just really quickly say thank you to everyone that tuned in to our watch along on Twitch. Oh yeah, crazy uh, times. That was one of the that was one of the best viewed things we've ever done. And so we're glad that we could provide that for you. The fact that it was three hours, 45 minutes, the fact that we did five hours, I think of content on Tuesday yeah. for the draft. I was pretty, there were so I was many pretty people, beat the next day. <laughs> there were so many people that, that tuned in and watched with us. And it, overall last week was one of the most fun weeks I've had oh, yeah. doing this in general, whether it was with Anaheim calling, whether it was here, what did you enjoy more um, Friday or, or Wednesday? The, or Tuesday, whichever the draft or free Tuesday. I, I I think Tuesday because I think being on air, doing all that, that was it was so yeah. much fun. And it, I I think being able to hear from everyone yes. in Twitch chat, it was it was just it was a blast to do that. And we'll definitely plan on doing that a little bit more in the future with various different things when we can. Um, and, and so I just want to say a genuine heartfelt thank you to everyone for for tuning in for for all the positive feedback we got from everyone we got people reaching out to us saying thank you so much for the hours of content that you've given us uh it was really appreciating all this type of stuff and i just want to say thank you to all of you um for the comments for tuning in for everything like that because without you we wouldn't be doing this we, we do this because we like it but we also do it because 
we we feel like you guys enjoy it and so without that i don't know if we would be continuing to do this and putting in as much effort and as much work as we do on it so i want to say a genuine heartfelt thank you to everyone out there that's listened that's gone to the website that read the articles last week that listened to a podcast that watched a video that did any of that we appreciate every single one of you yeah absolutely and just to build on what jake has said a little bit and echo it further we started this podcast kind of on a whim about three years ago now and um we are still i'm pretty sure i was just a fill-in for yeah i well i started this podcast on a whim (laughs) yeah um but yeah no so what we what we've been doing started three years ago now and it was um i never thought that I just never even imagined that we'd get further along where we do Twitch streams and Discord and we have people chiming in and people leaving these awesome reviews. It was just something I wanted to do because it just seemed fun. It just seemed I love talking hockey. I love just breaking down the game, the moves. And so the fact that you guys have been enjoying that, that that you are, are giving us some great feedback, that it, it truly does mean a lot because this is uh, – it's a labor of love, and so it does go a long way. All right, all right. Enough of that. Enough of that. So let's. Uh, I mean, that was. <laughs> we're almost. I, we're about three years in now. We are. We we, we might. Pod- I think November the f- is the three year anniversary of the show. I would assume it, maybe you might be right. I was gonna say I would assume it's October, but maybe it's no. November. I, eh, maybe maybe late October. Um, but yeah. So a couple different ways you can uh, reach out to us here. So Jake is on Twitter. At Reindeer Games 91. Check out his Twitter handle. I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. Check out the website, CrashThePawn.com, and at CrashThePawn on Twitter and on Facebook. So, with all that being said, a great week is in the books. Wishing everybody a great week coming up. Hopefully, we'll have more to talk about, and we'll talk to you at the next show. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.